This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. The Lives of Harry Lime, starring Orson Welles, is up in part one. And seeing that a fair amount of time is given to the musician on the zither, maybe we should devote just a little bit of time to him. That would be Anton Karras. He was a Viennese zither player and composer, best known for his internationally famous 1948 soundtrack to Carol Reed's The Third Man, which came about as a result of a chance meeting. In the summer of 48, director Carol Reed was preparing to shoot The Third Man in Vienna, was staying at a hotel there, and on the second day, they stopped uh, at a wine tavern where growers offer their own wines for sale directly and heard Karras playing the zither in the background. Well, he was struck by the simple zither melodies, and he asked the stunned Karras if he would compose the music for the film. Karras protested, saying he had never actually written music. As Karras later told the story, the director insisted and invited Karras to England. Well, the Austrian became homesick and asked to be allowed to return home. Reed told him he could, as soon as he had written the music. Under this pressure, Karras wrote his Harry Lime theme, and we're going to hear some of that right now as we check in with Harry Lime and the episode, The Mexican Hat Trick. Presenting Orson Welles as the third man. The Lives of Harry Lyme. The fabulous stories of the immortal character originally created in the motion picture The Third Man with zither music by Anton Karras. That was the shot that killed Harry Lyme. He died in a sewer beneath Vienna. As those of you know who saw the movie, The Third Man. Yes, that was the end of Harry Lyme. But it was not the beginning. Harry Lyme had many lives. And I can recount all of them. How do I know? It's very simple. Because my name is Harry Lyme. I don't approve of gambling, at least not the legitimate kind. It's not so much the gambling I dislike, it's the losing I detest. Of course, all business entails a certain amount of risk. That's why insurance companies grow rich. I believe in insurance. That's why when I have to gamble, I always like to ensure that I'm on a sure thing. 
Some people have been rude enough to call this cheating, that they were prejudiced by being on the losing side. Like that time in Mexico City when I brought off what I like to call my Mexican hat trick. Orson Welles as Harry Lyme, the third man in Mexican Hat Trick. There is no human affliction worse than poverty. In Mexico City, I realized again that it's more painful when the disease occurs in the midst of plenty. Somehow, there had always been enough to buy a drink for some poor, unsuspecting tourista. You know, the kind, too much money in his pocket, too much trust in his heart for a fellow American, a meal ticket for Harry Lyme. But now... Nothing. Harry Lyme, soldier of many fortunes, good and bad, was down to his last borrowed cigarette, sitting in a crummy dive in a fourth-rate district of the city, checking a mental roster of friends, contacts, and local suckers. <laughs> Senor Harry. Oh. oh. Hello, Diego. Just thinking about you, Diego. Sit down, old man. We know. What's your standard rate for six fast lessons in pocket picking? Ah, mi amigo, I trade you favor for favor, eh? You know my friend Bolo Minoso? Bolo, of course, king of the Mexico City dips, hmm? How's he doing? He died this morning, Harry. Oh, it's too bad, Diego. Anything I can do? See, before he died, Bolo asked me to help him remove a great stain from his immortal soul. You don't say. He was afraid that when he entered the next world... Uh, look, Diego, you've come to the wrong man. I'm having troubles enough with this world. Bolo gave me this note, Harry. He asked me to take it for him to... To, to the police. Well, go to it, old man. I'm... But, but the police... Could you not deliver this note me? for me? To the yes. police? Yes. Diego... Remember, Bolo has entrusted it to you. Be a man. The... Face the issue. Straighten up. Shoulders back. Chest I out, old man. I not jest, amigo. You could remove Bolo's stains more simply. Oh, I'm afraid. All right. Let me see this want... note. See. Hmm. I don't know why you should be so worried about... It's... Hmm. Okay. Huh? Oh, uh... Now, well, well, Diego, you've done a favor, too, for me. Uh -huh. I, uh... Yes. I guess I'll take care of Bolo's house oh, for you. Amigo. Sure. Gracias, amigo, gracias. You will take it to the police, eh? Uh, don't worry about a thing, old man. Uh, I'll take care of the note. When I managed to get rid of the grateful Diego, I sat down and studied this little note more carefully. Seventeen years ago, the note explained, in the little Mexican town of Leon, Bolo Minoso had killed a man. This note was his confession, a complete account of how he'd permitted an innocent man somebody named Vicente Coelho, to be accused of this murder. It explained that Bolo had hidden signed affidavits proving Coelho's innocence somewhere in Leon. Just where in Leon, he neglected to say. The police would be interested in this confession, of course, but then it seemed to me that the Coelho family might have a greater concern. So I decided to investigate the financial aspects of the family interest. Buenos dias, señora. Buenos dias, señora. Sesto usted, uh, señora Coelho? Sí. This is my daughter, Alicia, senor. I'm encantado. I'm delighted. 
Senora, this document concerns your husband. Uh, My husband? Vicente Coelho. He was your husband. Yeah. Yes, but Vicente is dead. Bendito uh, Senora, says, how long has it been since his death, I mean? We, we do not know. Not for certain. It has been a long time. Yes, well, you needn't be delicate on my account, Signora. I know. No? Signora, I know that your father was accused of murdering a man in Leon 17 years ago. He did not. Vicente would not hurt I anyone. Know, but he was not a criminal. The police didn't share that view. When he escaped from prison before his trial, it seemed to cinch the case against him, right? Okay. It made the authorities even more certain of his guilt. But he had to escape. There was no hope without the papers. Yes, yes, I know. You seem to know so much, Mr. Lyle. I know what you know, Senorita. Those papers were the evidence that could have saved your father, and they were stolen. This does not help us. We have searched for 17 years for some kind of evidence that would have cleared the name of my husband. We have spent mm. thousands of pesos. What if you thousands. found that evidence now, Senora? Oh, por Dios. If we only could. Senora, Senorita, those papers... They were affidavits proving absolutely that your husband was nowhere near the scene of the crime when it occurred. They were? How do you know this? I have the word of the man who stole them. You have? Alicia, he knows. Where is this man, Mr. Lyme? We must see him I'm immediately. Afraid, I'm afraid it's too late for that. He's dead, you see. Dead? Hmm. Then it has been for nothing. Why do you come to us now? Oh, there's always hope, Senorita. I have his confession that he was the murderer. I can prove your father's innocence. You can? Mm. Mama, you hear? Si, si. I knew that someday... Madre de Dios. Gracias. We must go to the police. Uh, yes, You can tell them. I'm afraid not the police. You won't go? Well, this deathbed confession, I'm afraid it isn't enough. Then what? The affidavit, senorita. I know where they can be found. That is the approximate location. The same affidavit? Yes. After 17 they years? They still exist. With a little searching, I can produce them. Then you must get them for us. We will do anything. Senora, any there's nothing. I'd rather do more. I'd like very much to help you clear, clear the Coelho name, but... Well, I, I, I can't leave immediately. It'll take time, six months or so. Six and then, yes, Possibly months? a year. Depends on business, of course. I do have certain commitments here in Mexico City, you but see. But, Mr. Lyme, a I'm year... I'm sorry, I mean losing quite a bit of income. I'm afraid six months anyway. No. Like... No, you must help us now. Mama, senor, we do not want you to lose any income for our sake. If you help us, we will pay you what money you would lose. Well, I'm grateful, senor, but really I hesitate, you see. My income is not small, something around 100,000 pesos for six months. We will give you 200,000 pesos. 200,000. Senor Lime, our money is yours. We will pay anything. You will not be sorry. I'm sure of that. Take back your gold. Gold will never buy me. <laughs> what it though. Take back your gold. Take back your... Come in, come in, come in. Buenos dias, senor Lyme. Senorita. May I come in? Uh, of course, come come right on in. Yeah. I uh, I see you are preparing for your journey. Yes, yeah, sorry, I can't offer you a decent chair. Take this one. It is all right, I will stand. How'd you ever find me here? It was not difficult. You are well known, it seems. Oh, checking up on me, huh? You might say the Quellios are cautious people, Mr. Lyme. Mm. My mother thought it best Please, that... senorita, I should be making the apologies. Mr. Lyme, forgive me for saying this, but for a man with business affairs such as yours, you live so... So, so... Uh, modestly? See, hmm? Not at all. Note the spider web over there, senorita. A genuine antique. 15th century. The spider is a direct descendant of Cortez. <laughs> I am sorry, Mr. Lyme. <laughs> Bad looks bears no one, it seems. 
Uh, you've had your share, Alicia. I've had mine, but it really makes a little difference. We can help each other now, and that's what's really important, isn't it? See, si, Yeah, si. let me pour you a drink. Good stuff. A pickpocket friend of mine borrowed it from an American tourist. No, thank you. You are so gay, Mr. Harry. See, si, Harry, I... Say, you know what I think? I think something's bothering you. What is it, the spider web, the saggy chair? Yeah. Harry, I would like to go to Leon with you. Now, just a minute, young lady. I have the car. You will need an interpreter, perhaps, in Leon. Well, I've heard it's a lonely town. Yes, Harry, it is. Well, don't just stand there, woman. Go on home and pack. No need to, senor. My luggage is downstairs in the car. We got our first glimpse of Leon from a hill behind the city. Quiet little mountain town, quite incapable of coping with giddy tourists on expense accounts. As we entered Leon, I wondered what murder had to do with a place like this. Bueno, Harry. You have taken us directly to the town plaza. Couldn't miss. Only one road into town. That a hotel over there? It is the hotel. Mm-hmm. And uh, that must be the town's official greeter. Hmm? Out you go. Out you go. Gracias. Good to stretch. Un he says he will watch the car, Harry. It's official greeter, all right. One or a, one or a hundred in every Mexican town. <laughs> his mother is ill, he says. His family is dying of hunger. Sure, sure, Give him something, Harry. Uh, looks like the greeter was just sent into retirement. Buenos dias, señor. Buenos dias. Welcome to Leon. You will be happy with us in this hotel. Uh, your back, señor. Uh, gracias. Uh, come, I have a beautiful room for you. Una habitación muy bonita. Señor y señora will be... Uh, un momento. Sí, señora. Dos. Dos habitaciones, señora. Señorita. Ah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, señorita. <laughs> sí, sí. Bueno, pues dos, dos habitaciones. Dos habitaciones. We followed the officious little hotel manager across a tile lobby. Up and many centuries before this, my hotel was the home of one of the Spanish conquistadors. Those are our rooms down there. You mm-hmm. see, there is much romance. Very in this interesting, yes. Oh, over there, you see. Uh, senor, what bell is that we hear? Bell? Oh, the bell, see, si, see. Si. Uh, this is the famous church bell of Leon. Famous? It bears a long and tragic story, senorita. Every hour it tolls to remind us of the scenes. Look, old the... man, some other time if you don't mind. Si, si, senor, pero. Yeah. Uh, there you are. Ah, for you. Muchas gracias, señor. Muchas gracias. Nada. Well, young lady, how do you say we wash up first and then start the big search for the affidavit? Harry, it seems so difficult. Where does one begin? With Bolo, of course. Find his trail. We find the papers. Let's go. Orson Welles returns in just a moment as the third man.
now Orson Welles as the third man continues with Mexican Hat Trick. Leon was even sleepier than most Mexican towns. Only the bell disturbed it. After the midday siesta, when you'd expect things to come to life, everything just went on sleeping as before. Good for the nerves, of course. Unless you were trying to wake up a memory 17 years old. Perhaps he will know this man. Let's hope so. I'm a little tired of asking. Uh, Do you speak English? Uh, That's well. I want some information. Information. Information, senor. Uh, uh, you desire... Uh, Yes, I understood that. Okay. What now, Harry? Uh, another bar. Gracias, amigo. One bar after another, one cafe after another. We made them all. We hit cockfight rings, the viejos on the street, everyone in every place where there might be a clue. Something to point us in the direction of those affidavits. Did you find anything, Harry? Nothing, nothing. Tough job. Perhaps we are making a mistake. What about my father? Hmm? It would be easier to find someone who remembers him. We can start from it's there. Part of your mind, mention your father's name. Just mention it around here. You'll have not only the police down on us, we'll have every chief confidence man in Mexico on our hands, trying to find out what we want. But we have to start somewhere. And we have to rest somewhere, too. My feet are killing me. Let's go back to the hotel. Harry, it is not right for me to be what? in the room. What? Oh, for the Come on, come on. There's no time to worry about proprieties. But it is not... Oh, we're both tired. We've got to rest. We might as well talk while we're doing it. Go on. I'll order up a couple of drinks. Hey. Hey, Alicia, there's nothing to cry about. I am sorry. I cannot help you. Come here. Come on. Oh, you should not kiss me. Oh, I'd be pretty silly if I didn't. Harry, please, No. You're a great kid, Alicia. Oh, Harry. You know what? I kind of hope this search of ours isn't too successful. Too soon. Things were considerably more bearable during the next few days. The warm Mexican evenings and Alicia. Uh, But during the days, long, tedious days, we searched and searched and searched and we found nothing. After one of our better evenings together, I left Alicia at her door and headed for my room. When I opened the door, there was a surprise waiting for me. I had a guest, the weasened old beggar who'd been the first to greet us on our arrival in Leon. This time, his greeting was a little violent. Hey, yeah. hey, Tim, hey, why, why you, Maria? No, you don't. You try to kill me. Oh, you try to kill me. I die. What are you doing here? Come on, what do you want? Panhandle business falling off, robbing hotel rooms now? Well, we'll see what the police have to say about it. Okay, okay, let's have it. What's it all about? What are you babbling about? Who wants to kill you? Bolo, you look for Bolo. You come to kill me. Bolo? What's he got to do with it? Hey, hey, come back here. Bolo. Bolo. The beggar, the flea-bitten old car-watching beggar. This was Alicia's father. Buried in the dust of police records, rumors, and memory, but after all these years, still alive. 
And those affidavits proving his innocence of the murder, they'd be twice as valuable to the living as they were to the dead. His family would certainly be willing to pay much more for them now, unless, of course, Coelho found them first. Obviously, that's why he was in Leon. I had to get my hands on those papers before he did, and before Alicia realized her father was still alive. Yes? Harry, I thought we could go... Harley. It's okay. Come in. Close the door. What happened? I had a little argument with destiny, honey. I won. Your clothes. Yeah. They're all torn in your face. Oh, Harley. Nothing I can't wash off with soap and water. But, but what was it? The old beggar. He must have been after my money. He tried to kill me when I caught him, Harry. Oh, Harry, you must be careful. No, you're the one who's got to be careful. Stay away from him. No telling what he's up to now. Might try to get back at me by hurting you. Then... We must go to the police. No, no, no. I, I, I don't want to talk to the police. No, not, not until we can clear your father. And then what? I'll handle him myself. You just stay close to me. I had to find those blasted papers quickly now. But how? Where? Was Coelho any closer to them than I? How could I keep Alicia from learning that her father was alive? Add to these nagging thoughts the incessant clanging of that church bell just outside my window. You can well understand my reaction to the hotel manager's typical good morning greeting. Ah, buenos dias, senor. Yeah, buenos dias. I did not sleep oh, well. Senor, your bed is not comfortable. I will see to it. Where's Alicia? Uh, the senorita, has she come down yet? Ah, the senorita, she's at the church. Church? Si, senor, this is a great holiday in our city. At midnight, the bell begins to toll and does not stop until the sun sets tonight. You mean to tell me it's going to keep up that racket till sundown, that horrible clankety-clank? This clank, senor, it is the will of the Lord. Yeah, well, I need some coffee. Our punishment, senor, we atone on this day for the great sin of Leon. The great sin of Leon, that must have been a whopper. A terrible sin, senor. Uh, on this day, 17 years ago, a good man was killed in Leon. Mm. For this, the Lord removed the music from the wait bell. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What happened 17 years ago? There was murder in our city. And the bell? A miracle, senor. On this Never day, mind we... the bell. What's it got to do with the murder? Please, senor, do not shout. Will you please, por favor, get the, the blasted point? Senor, you must hear me. This bell was once of glorious musical tone. Uh, yes, Then but... there came this terrible scene, this uh, killing. Go on. One of the men of Leon was taken by the police for this murder. Then there occurred this miracle. What miracle? The music left the tone of the bell, and this man was never seen again. Wait a minute. It changed its tone overnight, huh? Before the man was brought to trial? The will of the Lord, senor. Our punishment for permitting violent death in our city. Each year on this day, we pray that the music be restored to our bell. Uh, you say you wish coffee, senor? No, 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 not now. When the senorita returns, tell her to see me. Uh, pronto. Right away. It's too late. <laughs> But, Harry, it is, it is too fantastic. Oh, sure, it's fantastic. Bells don't change their tone the way you and I change our clothes. There's got to be a reason for it, a practical, fundamental, tangible reason. Now, look, look, this note. Yeah? Bolo's note. Here, he admits it right here. He stole the evidence that would have cleared your father. He says he hid it right here in Leon. Well, why did he not destroy it immediately? Who knows? Maybe he intended to confess sooner or later. Murders are seldom logical people, but look. Now we learn that just before your father escaped from the police, the tone of this bell suddenly, mysteriously, miraculously changed from a melodious ring to that clank we hear out there. Listen to it, Alicia, listen. What makes a bell sound like that? I, I do not know, Harry. It may be 
I do not know. Well, neither do I, but tonight I'm going to find out. And you're going to help. It was midnight before the streets were empty. Alicia and I entered the little church and climbed up the ancient flight of stairs to the company. How will you get to the bell? The steps do not go that high. You have to use the bell. It will make so much noise. Yeah, it will no. stop the bell to ring. It won't make much difference once we get what we're after. Can you reach it? Got it. Stay here. The padre shows up. Let me know. I'll make it as fast as I can. Be careful, Harry. Mm. Do not hurt yourself. I'll be okay. Harry, mm. I love you. Mm? This is for good luck. That did it. I climbed up, hand over hand. I don't know how far. Ten feet, maybe fifteen or twenty. It wasn't easy. The bell made a horrible racket over me, and the sound grew in waves as I approached it, making me dizzier and dizzier until I almost let go. But finally, there was no more rope. My hand touched the inside of the bell, and it, it stopped ringing. The old lime confidence was at a cockeyed angle and slipping away fast when I suddenly grabbed for the clapper and found what I wanted. Heavy oilskin wrapper tied around it a couple of hundred thousand pesos worth of missing affidavits. One good tug pulled it away. I stuffed it in my shirt front. Alicia! The rope burned chunks of flesh right out of my hands as I slid down. Below me, I saw another figure struggling with Alicia, trying to get past her. The two of them were wrestling on the narrow ledge at the top of the steps, leading to the bell tower. I caught one moonlit glimpse of their faces as I swung onto the ledge. It was the beggar, Coelho, Alicia's father. Before I could reach him, she got one arm free and hit him as hard as she could. Then she shoved, and he went over. Oh. Alicia! Alicia! Harry, oh, Harry, he tried to kill me. Oh, it's he tried all right. To kill it's me. all right, honey. It's all right. I killed him. This was not my no, fault. No, 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 no. You didn't him. get Look, he's, he's getting up. It's all right. I'm glad. I'm glad. Come on, Alicia. Let's go down. After all, we got what we came for. <laughs> Lime returns in just a moment. As far as the authorities were concerned, Coelho was a nameless beggar who'd gone and blown his top. They locked him up, of course, but said he'd be released later on. I was the one person who could identify him, the one person who could return him to his family. But why interfere? 
Let the old man figure it out for himself. If he wanted to remain the unknown beggar for the rest of his days, that was his business. Probably everybody would be happier the way things were, particularly Alicia. She was all that really worried me. I went out into the little plaza to think it over. Day was breaking. The birds were waking up. The little cantina was still open. I went in and sat down at a greasy little table and had myself a couple of taquillas. Then I borrowed a few sheets of notepaper and wrote this. Alicia, my darling, I'm writing this in a great rush because I want to be gone from Leon before you're awake. I'm doing it this way because I'm afraid if I saw you again, I wouldn't know how to go and I've got to. No matter what, I can't. I mustn't stay on here in Mexico with you. I hope you find somebody you deserve, but I doubt it. Anyway, here's wishing you happiness. Adios. And as for my fee, you can pay it to a man called Diego, who call at your house. Again, adios. Yours, Harry Lyme. Tune for Let George Do It next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, let's have George do it. Standard of California, on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the West, invite you to Let George Do It. Another adventure of George Valentine. Personal notice. Danger is my stock and trade. If you're up against something you can't handle and that has to be kept strictly confidential, you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, the day after tomorrow, a boy 16 is getting out of a work camp after a year. Instead of trying to get a new start, he swears he's going to do something that'll take him right back there again, or even worse... You've got to help him. You've got to save him from himself. I don't have much money. I'm only 16, too. Only 16, too. But I'll work the rest of my life paying you if you'll do everything you can to help Eddie. I'll be waiting for you tomorrow morning at 7 in front of the Lincoln statue in Chelsea Square Park. It's just signed Emily, George. Yeah. Chelsea Square Park, huh? Brooksy, that's right in the middle of that slum jungle where those so-called wolf packs have been running wild. Yes, and kids just about this age. Always good for an editorial. Young hoodlums, a challenge to society. And that's where it usually ends. Brooksy, looks like we're going to be on the job early tomorrow morning. George, wait a minute. What is it, Brooksy? Over there, sitting under the statue of Lincoln. There, feeding the pigeons. Oh, yeah. Looks like our girl, all right. Come on, Angel. Let's see how unlike an editorial we can be when we talk to her. Now, that's all the crumbs I have. No use hanging your arm. Go on. Scoop. Scoop. Go on. <laughs> Emily? Yes? Oh, Mr. Valentine? Yeah, that's right. Gosh, I didn't really believe you'd come, and I... Hello, well, Emily. I... This is Miss Brooks. We work together. How do you do? Hello, Miss Brooks. If things weren't so terrible for Eddie, I'd, I'd feel pretty silly. I don't have anything in the world, and 
There's no reason for you to help me. Well, let's just say you write a darn good letter. Now, what about Eddie, Emily? He's a boy I know. He gets out tomorrow. Why was he sent away? The police found him in a stolen car. I see. But he didn't steal it. He thought he was delivering the car to a second-hand dealer for somebody, just to make a little extra money. Well, didn't he tell that to the police? No. He just kept insisting over and over that he didn't steal it. He wouldn't even tell me who got him into that trouble. But he says that since everybody is so sure he's no good, he's going to prove they're right. You know what that means. Oh, now, Emily. Well, I know Eddie. He's lost his temper a lot of times, and he got into scrapes, but... Well, he's not bad. Not really. Emily, you're pretty sure of that, aren't you? I suppose when you believe in somebody, you just do, that's all. All right. Now let's see what we can do. He has no place to go, Mr. Valentine. What do you mean? He only has his father, and Eddie was supporting Mr. Prokosh, selling papers. Yes? Well, when Eddie was arrested, Mr. Prokosh told him he never wanted to see him again. And Eddie's very proud. He'd never go back home now. Well, people change a lot in a year. Do they? My mother and father haven't. They still think Eddie's no good. And even now, when I went to help him, I have to meet you in the park before I go to school. All right, Emily, suppose you leave Eddie to me. I'm going to secretarial school now, and in another year I'll start working. And if you don't mind waiting, oh, I suppose can... you leave that to Mr. Valentine, too. Then you mean you'll do everything you can? <laughs> that and a little more, Emily. Now, suppose we go and have some breakfast so you can tell me all about Eddie. Then I'm going to have a talk with his father. <laughs> I don't care who you are. I want to hear nothing about my son. I got no son. Now get out of my house. Now just take it easy, Mr. Prokash. Look at me, mister. You see this cripple leg? I got that making honest living. Honest living. I know. That's dreadful, Mr. Prokash. But there's still Eddie to think about. I get few pennies from the company every month. I even bite my tongue and take charity from the Morrissey Association. But better I should hate myself than take one dirty penny my son steals. I don't need it. But maybe your son needs you. I told you, lady, I got no son. Okay. Okay, let's just call him another boy, age 16, a boy in trouble and headed for more. But not everybody's sold off in the way you are, his own father. You know, Mr. Prokash, you can worry so much about being right that you can be wrong. Right, right. Such fancy talk I don't understand. Hey, Prokash, I want... Oh. So you got company, eh? What you want in my house? Tell these characters a blow. There's something I want you to tell me. Uh, just who is this imitation Bogart? Huh? Uh, His name is Dan Lucas. He's the worst hoodlum of them all. Look, Pop, Eddie's time's about up. Once he's getting out, I gotta know. I tell you nothing. You heard me, I gotta know. And you're gonna tell me all right. You what? Let him let go. That flashy tie you're wearing. You don't nod at half tight enough, so I'm gonna help you. It's not good manners for a tough guy like you to be pushing helpless people around. Stop it, will you? You see what I mean, Stanley? George, look out! See the kind of knife he carries? Yeah. Not the kind you peel potatoes with. Why, I ought to... George, let go of him. I, I just got one thing to say to you, mister. Stay out of this neighborhood after dark if you want to live. Which way do you want to go downstairs? On your head or on your feet? He ain't through with you. You need a blue Beat it. Take that collapsible stiletto with you. Let's hope the cops find it on you. 
still have nothing to say to us about Eddie, Mr. Prokosh? Nothing. You see the kind friends he has? I would rather die we than... Know. All right, let's go, Brooksy. There's one more place I'd like to stop before we meet Eddie tomorrow. What do I know about Eddie Prokosh? Just about everything, Mr. Valentine. Good, good. That's why we dropped in to see you, Mr. Morrissey. Mr. Prokosh says you and the Chelsea Square Association have been helping him out every month. Well, Miss Brooks, we're sort of a political club, as you know. But we believe in really taking care of our own down here. So I understand. Naturally, we hope to win votes. But in a tough neighborhood like Chelsea Square, there are other things that are more important. Giving out turkeys come Thanksgiving and arranging a boat ride in the summer just aren't enough. Oh, we do much more than that. We cooperate with the police. Even get to the judge when one of our boys gets into trouble. We've been talking about putting up a playground, too. Well, I could get the bare facts of what happened at juvenile court. But I thought a man like you, whose business it is to know what's going on, could tell us more than that. We understand Eddie didn't even try to defend himself on that stolen car charge. Yeah, I know. But I'm afraid there was very little he could say. He was caught red-handed. Very unfortunate case. But I'm afraid not at all unusual. Say, tell me, Morrissey. Why would a young hooligan like Stan Lucas be interested in knowing when Eddie gets out from the work camp? Lucas? Yeah, that one. There's really a neighborhood problem. Mm, I can imagine. Stan's almost a man now. I don't see what he could have had to do with Eddie Prokosh. Apparently, he had a lot to do with him, Morrissey. But it looks as though we won't get the real picture of Eddie till we talk to the boy himself. <laughs> How about a lift, mister, huh? No. Uh, are you going into town? How about a... Uh, Why knock yourself out, kid? I'm going back to town. I'll give you a lift. What? Oh, I didn't see you parked under that tree. Hop in, Eddie. Okay, thanks. What? How did you know my name? I've been waiting for you, kid. But we'll go into all that later. Listen to Emily. She's just a crazy kid. <laughs> and I suppose you're a brainy old man. Yeah, well, I know what I'm doing. And you can let me off with the next cross and I can get a bus, you know. Ah, just keep your shirt on, Eddie. Ah, that kid gets crazy ideas. I know what I'm doing. I don't need anybody's help. Okay, okay, so you're on your own. Well, let's set it up this way. Look, I live by myself. What do you say we go home and have some chow? You might decide to bunk over with me until you know what you want to do. I know what I want to do. Hey, uh, mister, you sure you're not a cop? <laughs> well, some of them are my best friends, Eddie, but I don't happen to be one. No, it's just like I said. I had a little talk with Emily while she was feeding the pigeons in the park. You and... mean Emily still sits by that statue and... Well, uh, okay, I guess there's no reason why I shouldn't eat your food. <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. <laughs> There's only one thing a woman likes better than to see a man clean up that last drop of gravy on his plate. Oh, what's that, Brissy? Two men doing the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I sure packed away a lot, didn't That's I? That's why I was here, Eddie. Go on, rave some more about my cooking to Mr. Valentine. It may help. 
See you in the office in the morning, George. Glad to bet you, Eddie. Yeah, me too, Miss Brooks. Well, thanks, Angel, for being chief cook and bottle washer. I do see those dirty dishes in the sink. <laughs> Good night, George. Oh, uh, Mr. Valentine. Yeah, Eddie. Thanks a lot for the meal, but I gotta get going now. No, Eddie, no. You're gonna stay right here tonight. Now, look, now, I look, said it. You're stewing about something. You can't wait to get it out of your system without thinking of the trouble it's gonna cause everybody, including yourself. Will you stop preaching at me? You got no right just because you give me a meal. I'm getting out of here. Not tonight, you're not. Now, look, kid, give yourself a chance to sleep on it. You may feel differently in the morning. I'm leaving by that door, so get out of my way. Now, I don't want to have to get tough with you, but... Yes? I'm... Okay, you asked for it, are you? No! Oh. for it, too. Oh, what happened? Just a little judo trick I had to learn once. Oh. Yeah, it came in pretty handy in Salerno. Hey... Hey, you mean you were in that fight in Salerno? That's right. And the guy coming up, he wasn't supposed to land on a nice, soft couch like you just did. Oh. Well, Eddie, there's no reason why we shouldn't settle down and listen to the fights now. Oh, yes. What? When you do go to bed, just remember, I'm a very light sleeper. So? So, don't get any fancy ideas about running out on me. <laughs> Okay, Eddie, time to get up. Hey, Eddie, did you hear me? Rise and shine. Oh, that's you. See, Eddie, if you want to try my new electric razor, you can... Why, that little... Now, where... Oh, great. They did leave me a note. That's something. I wasn't asleep like you thought when you went in to take your shower. I even washed the dishes to pay for my room and board. Now, you and Miss Brooks and Emily better stay away from me. You were so anxious to know what I was going to do, now I can tell you. I'm going to take care of Stan Lucas. Return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about wear and tear. Most motorists believe, and quite naturally, that automobile engines wear out faster when they're running. But that's not true. Your car faces its biggest danger when it's standing cold. For that's when rust, caused by condensed moisture inside cylinders, starts to work. And that's where RPM motor oil can help you avoid a repair bill. RPM's special compounds keep a rust-proof oil film on all engine parts all the time. Whether your car is running hot or standing cold, RPM clings stubbornly to vital wear points. And consequently, rust never has a chance to get started in your car. No wonder it's the two-to-one choice of Western motorists. Next time you need oil, ask for rust-fighting RPM motor oil at any standard station or independent Chevron gas station. While you're there, ask for a free copy of Batter Up. It's a wonderful handbook on baseball, a gift to you from independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine and to Chelsea Square, a jungle of tenements in the middle of the city, 
and a wolf pack of boys stalking the streets. That's the background for George's present job. The specific challenge to keep 16-year-old Eddie Prokosh from committing a serious crime, as he promised. Morning, George. Huh? Hey, you only shaved on one side of your face this morning. Okay, so that's the side you can kiss me on. <laughs> but look, we're in trouble, Angel. What? Yeah, playing Big Brother a la Spencer Tracy didn't work out. Eddie beat it while I was shaving. All right, darling, take it easy. Uh, he left this little note. He's out on the prowl. To quote, he's going after Stan Lucas. Oh, no. Yeah. I've got to stop him somehow, Brooksy. I only knew where to find him down there in that Chelsea district. What pool hall, what dark alley, what hallway. Then stand with that knife. What can we do, George? Well, I'm going to have another talk with Eddie's father. Look, you find Emily. But where? Well, she gave us the name of the secretarial school. Call her. Get her to meet you in the park. Maybe she can give us a clue on how we can find Eddie. Okay, George. Remember, Brooksy, it's a race against time. can't do that. He must Emily, stop crying. Yes, Miss Brooks. Emily, I'm not going to talk to you like a child. If you're old enough to fall in love with a boy, this is no time to let him down. I know. I know. You came to us for help. Now we need yours. Can you tell us some of the places where Eddie might be looking for Stan Lucas? It could be anywhere, but I... Yes, dear? I... I should have told you this before, but I couldn't... I mean about Stan. Stan? Did he have anything to do with that stolen car business? I'm not sure, but that's that's not what I meant. What did you mean? Miss Brooks, you said you weren't going to talk to me like a child. Well, I'm not going to talk to you like I was one either. All this year, Eddie was up in that work camp. I've been going around with Stan. Oh. But I had to. Everybody does what Stan tells them to. I wasn't afraid just for myself, but what he said he'd do to Eddie when he came out. Does Eddie know that? No, you know how men are. I wouldn't want him to know. Oh, you poor kid. Well, what could I do, Miss Brooks? Stan said he could even stop the few dollars Mr. Prokosh gets from the association. And he needs that money to live on. Stan was just talking. But you don't have to worry about him anymore. Mr. Valentine knows how to take care of him. I'm only thinking of Eddie. If I could only talk to him, I've got to find him. Wait, Emily, I'll go with you. We'll both look for him. All I want to know, Mr. Prokosh, is whether Eddie's been here or not. He knows better than to come here. Oh, yeah. And I suppose that makes you a great father. Hey, look, Eddie's wandering around. A few words well chosen might save his whole life. And all he gets is a door slammed in his face. I got nothing more to say, Mr. Valentine. Well, I have one more thing to say. Your son's out to kill somebody. K-I-L-L. That's the kind of thing you get the big rap for. Even a kid of 16. My Eddie, he would not... First a thief, then a murderer. Okay, Prokash, I can't waste any more time on you. A 16-year-old girl had more faith in your son than you have. And I've got to keep faith with her. Remember me, big shot? Well, at least I didn't have to look for you, Stan. Nah, you didn't. Because I was looking for you. Jump, boys, jump. Hold against that wall. Look at Stan. Hold on. Ah, twist his arms back, Stan. No! I want to do this right. Hey! No! I owe this mug some imitation poor guy. You had something to say about my knife, didn't you? No. How do you like it, Oh. 
have my initials all over that face no, of yours. No, hey, don't do it, Stan. No, no, I won't do it. It's really going to be a pleasure to work him over so even his own mother wouldn't recognize him. I... I know my diction isn't very good, Lieutenant Riley. Valentine, what's the matter with you? Where are you? Just about got to the hall phone. Look, you got to do me a favor. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. But what's wrong with you? I thought I could keep the police out of a boy's life, but it's way over my head now. I need your help, Lieutenant. Okay, shoot. Look, pick up two boys down on Chelsea Square fast. Eddie Prokosh, about 5'8". Freckles on his nose, wears a leather jacket. And Stan Lucas, get it? Stan Lucas, yeah. He's a, a dirty, vicious... Valentine! Yes, you stay where you are. Don't worry, Lieutenant. I can't help myself. Hello, Angel. I know. I know what you're making. The guy doesn't look his best in these hospitals. How darling your face. Look, what about Eddie? Did they pick him up? Yes. Before he gets to stand? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, good, good. Not quite so good. What happened, Brooksy? Lieutenant Riley has Eddie in jail. Ah. They found a gun on him. But if he didn't get to stand, The then... gun was taken from a watchman in a hold-up this morning. Eddie! No question about that gun. But, Brooksy, with that guy's record and now this... I know. But, George, what do you think you're doing? Where are you... Oh, I'm getting out of here and have a talk with Eddie in jail. <laughs> You gotta talk. What about you and that watchman? What difference does it make what I say? Nobody will believe me. Come on, Eddie. Come on. Uh, I bought that gun from Swenson, the pawnbroker, just a couple hours ago. What? Yeah, I was going to use it on Stan. Well, did Lieutenant Riley check with the pawnbroker to see if your story was right? Yeah, sure, but Swenson told him he hadn't seen me since I was sent away. Uh-huh. Shouldn't be any surprise to me. I should be used to getting framed. Now, look... You told me the truth, huh, Eddie? I tell you, I was nowhere near that factory this morning. I was out looking for Stan. And it was Stan who framed you on that hot car deal. That's right. Well, why didn't you say so when you were arrested? Well, what proof did I have? He, he would have lied his way out of it. And he wanted to get rid of me so he could have Emily for himself. Yeah, I know all about her going on with him while I was away. One of the kids up at camp told me. Now, wait a minute, Eddie. You got Emily all wrong. Yeah, yeah, You sure. know why Emily was going out with Stan? She explained all that to Miss Brooks. I'm not interested. She was afraid of what Stan would do to you when you got out. And he said he could stop the allowance your father was getting every month. What? You, what's that? You heard me, Eddie. If Emily were giving you a runaround, she wouldn't come to me to keep you from making a darn fool of yourself. Yeah, but... Oh, nobody does anything for anybody unless there's a payoff in it somewhere. Nobody gives a good hoot about me anyway. Look at me, tough guy. My face, I mean. Stan and my gang did give you a good going over, didn't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. Very artistic job. You think I'd look like this if I didn't give a good hoot about you? Well, I... And I I... suppose the payoff on this for me is going to be a million bucks. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Valentine. Okay. Okay, Eddie. We understand each other. Now, I'll show you how much I believe in you. Here, take this. A knife? That's right. Wolfpack style. A la Lucas. I don't get it. I'm going to talk to Lieutenant Riley. And you're going to have a chance to talk to Stan alone in his cell when they bring him in. 
You mean you're going to let me loose with him? With this? That's right, Eddie. Oh, that'll be standing with me. Now, look. We've got to get Stan to talk. And he's not giving out for the police or for me. You're the only one who can make him talk. Now, you listen closely. All right. All right, I don't mind playing ball with you, Valentine. I'm all for helping the kid. Thanks, Lieutenant. But you realize the spot I'm putting myself in, letting Eddie have a knife when he talks to Stan? We'll be right next to the cell door. Go right in, Mr. Morrison. Lieutenant's waiting for you. Thank you. Well, it's good to see you, Morrissey. How are you, Lieutenant? Miss Brooks. Hello, Mr. Morrissey. I see. I see they're keeping you stepping down there in Chelsea Square. I'm afraid so, but we do our best. Well, Valentine uh, thought you ought to be in on this Prokosh case. Eddie's one of your boys. You know. I know. Yeah, we're going to hear Eddie's side of the story. And if it sounds convincing, we know you'd want to help. I'm glad you thought of me. Okay, let's get going. Sergeant! Bring the Prokosh boy to cell nine. We'll be right there. Okay, Eddie. Lieutenant says you can talk to this guy in five minutes. Thanks. <laughs> well, well, well. Did you get out, Pokash? You didn't stay out very long, did you? No. You sort of that, Stan. Oh, and you're talking so you had. Am I? You want me to give you regards to anybody when I get bailed out? Emily, for instance? You're not getting out of here. What are you doing? You ought to know this trick. How to hide a knife in your shoe so they don't find it when they search you. Hey, Eddie, put that thing away. I've been waiting to catch up with you, Stan. Look, stay away from me. You framed me. Running those stolen cars. Well, now you're going to pay for it. Oh, take take it easy, will you? Didn't you? Look, I I, I didn't mean to frame you, Eddie. It was all a mistake. Help! Somebody help! He's going to... Stop! I was looking around for a gun, and sooner or later I'd wind up at Swenson's. So you planted that hot gun there. Yeah, 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 that's right. But look, kid. Help get this guy out of here. You hear me? Get him out of here. Well, get him out of here, all right. He was trying to murder me. Hey, what are you doing here? You got a good memory for faces, Stan, especially ones you've been working on. Gosh, Mr. Valentine, it worked. You heard him, didn't you? Yes, Eddie, we heard everything. Look what's going on here. You got no... Shut up. Mr. Morrissey, get me out of here. I didn't do nothing. Nevertheless, you say the best, Stan. Look, you can't let him railroad me like that. I'll do everything I can, same as I would for everyone else from our district. I guess you're going to stay put, Lucas. And the rest of your gang will be sent to a place where they can learn to do something useful with their lives. Come on, everybody. Wait a minute, Lieutenant. Huh? Isn't it going to be kind of crowded in here for Stan and Mr. Morrissey? What are you talking about, Valentine? That was some nice double talk between you and Stan a second ago. The less he says, the better. The better for you, you meant, didn't you, Morrissey? Now look, Lieutenant, and you, Stan, I... you said you can't let them railroad me or I'll... Well, I, uh, or you'd I, give I, away I... the whole works, wouldn't you? Morrissey was the real guy behind the stolen car racket and a lot of other rackets down in Chelsea Square. Morrissey, you were using Stan to bully the other kids in the line. That's why Stan boasted he could cut off the little money Mr. Prokosh was getting from the association. Well, you don't seem to have much to say, Morrissey. Everybody knows my reputation. Oh, yeah, yeah, the big power of the neighborhood. Big enough to make Swenson, the pawnbroker, perjure himself so you could be rid of Eddie. I think you can get Swenson to talk now, Lieutenant. I told you he sold me that gun. You you got this all wrong, Valentine. This Lucas boy here has caused all kinds of trouble. If he tries to implicate me, surely no one is going to leave him. Look, Marcy, you're not going to walk out and leave me holding the bag. Valentine is right. I got lots of proof. Keep quiet, you little rat. See what I mean, Lieutenant? On second thought... It wouldn't be safe to leave them both in the same cell. 
Mr. Valentine, what's that saying about an old fool? <laughs> well, I don't know about that saying, Mr. Prokosh. Why not settle for another one? Better late than never. Except for you, I would have made a terrible mistake. Thank you. George, come here. Ah, what is it, Brooksy? Look down there, out of the window. Huh? Here's Emily and Eddie sitting on the stoop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Offhand, I call that romance, ain't you? And offhand, I remember a saying, too. Hmm? Speak for yourself, John, if you know what I mean. And now, a message of importance to motorists. The merry month of May means a merry vacation for a lot of folks. And if you're one of them, here's the way to start out safe as well as happy. Just make sure your car gets a vacation check at a standard station or an independent Chevron gas station. Do this a day or two before you start out. When the men at these service stations inspect your tires, battery, crankcase oil, spark plugs, all the vital parts, they give your car the same thoroughgoing care they'd give their own. While you're getting this important vacation check, get a new keyless gas cap, too. It has a simple combination lock, no key to lose. And it guarantees your gasoline is safe from theft during your vacation trip and whenever you park your car. Keyless, self-locking gas caps are another better motoring item available at independent Chevron gas stations and at standard stations where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Oh, hello, Angel. Oh, darling, I thought you'd never open your eyes. Oh, why doesn't somebody turn that radiator off? It's hissing. We're back in the man lock at the tunnel, George. Oh, what happened? Well, you were down here this morning, and you must have come up too quickly, and you got the bend. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember now. Then coming up, and then everything went blank. There was another accident in the tunnel. What? Oh, hey, I'm beginning to remember a few things now. And I'm pretty sure I know what causes these accidents. Brooksy, quick, help me over to that phone. Hey, thank you very much for listening. Tomorrow night, it's a new feature. I was a communist for the FBI, starring Dana Andrews. Followed by Life with Luigi. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.